0: I'm going to read the scripture reading today for us uh, before diving into the sermon. And again, our passage today is Acts chapter four, verses one through twenty-two, and I'll be reading from the NIV version. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up after up to Peter and John, while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed. Because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, By what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we were being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked, how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were the unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they looked. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to speak, to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus but Peter and John replied which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him you be the judges as for us we cannot keep speaking we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So we continue in our Acts, the book of Acts series, entitled the series entitled The Spirit-Infused Multi-Ethnic Church. Um, we are looking um, as a community of faith, as a church uh, to see what we can glean from the book of Acts in terms of what it means to be spirit-filled, to be unified together in the midst of diversity and to see, uh, and become a pe- people uh, spirit-led on a mission um, to be witnesses of the gospel just as the early church was. And uh, again, I just read from Acts chapter 4, 1 through 22. And I've entitled today's sermon, We Will Not Be Silent. And if you have been with us for the last few weeks, uh, last couple of weeks, we know that the setting has been the temple in Jerusalem. um, And Peter and John have just uh, met with a lame man who's been lame from birth. Peter uh, then heals the man in the name of Jesus and then gives a sermon, kind of providing theological context and meaning behind how and why they were able to heal this man. And what Peter says is, why are you looking at us? It's not us doing this as humans, but it's in the name of Jesus. Jesus whom you crucified, but Jesus who God resurrected, is now alive in power. And the things we do are because Jesus is alive and he is the promised Messiah. And so, a crowd, a mob, not a mob, but a crowd of people who are in awe and wonderment at what uh, these apostles have done and what they recognize as a miracle done for this lame man who they recognize as the one who's been there for many, many years. Now, jumping and dancing, this man is uh, able to walk. Uh, they're gathered around the disciples at Solomon's portico, at Solomon's colonnade in the temple itself. And so you can imagine the scene that hundreds of people, thousands of people actually surrounding uh, Peter as he's uh, presenting the gospel, as he's preaching the gospel. It captures, no doubt, the attention of the temple authorities. And so at the top of chapter at verse one, we see new actors enter, enter into the drama and the plot begins to thicken. It says in verse one, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So the priests are the priests in the temple, and then we have the captain of the temple guard. Um, the temple was secured by the Roman Empire. Uh, the Romans established a guard, a temple guard there. So this is a Roman, uh, basically the campus police um, for the temple. And then the Sadducees, to, be, uh, um, to make a distinction, uh, priests, there were different factions within the priests, some were Pharisees, some were Sadducees, and the Sadducees in particular um, did not believe in the resurrection of the body. And so you can see their conflict with Peter and John as Peter is preaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This hits right at the core, uh, undermining the Sadducees' convictions that there's no such thing as the resurrection. And so you can see that these Sadducees, the temple guard, and the priests are greatly disturbed. Like they're, they're seething at what they perceive as evil going on uh, before them. And so they're greatly disturbed. And what are the two reasons that they're greatly disturbed? They're greatly disturbed, one, because the apostles were teaching the people. They were teaching the people Uh, This is during maybe some of the prayer times and the teaching, uh, reading of the scriptures and teaching in the temple. But obviously, Peter and what has happened, the layman has become the center of attention and thousands have gathered around them. And so what this tells me is that the Sadducees are jealous. They're angry and upset because someone else other than them are teaching the people. And the people are drawn to them. The people are receiving from them. They feel they are being, the Sadducees feel that they are being undermined. The priests are being undermined. Um, Their authority is being undermined by the disciples of Jesus. Secondly, they're greatly disturbed because, as alluded to before, they're proclaiming Jesus, in the Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. They're proclaiming that Jesus raised from the dead and is alive now sitting at the hand of, right hand of God. And this is also an undermining of their own teaching, their own beliefs that there is no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. So clearly they want to get rid of Peter and John. Clearly the disciples represent a threat um, to their hold in the temple, to their authority in the temple. And so this is why... They're upset. So what we see in verse 3 is that they seize Peter and John. They lay hands on them. um, And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. So they lay hands on Peter and John, arresting them. The apostles, remember, have amassed thousands of people in Solomon's colonnade and are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the temple authorities, however, what is what is a peaceful gathering around around the wonderful works of the apostles in the name of Jesus, In in the temple authorities' eyes, this is like a protest. This is a protest and an undermining of their authority. How dare they teach the people? How dare they bring up the resurrection of Jesus, who we execute, who was executed on the Roman cross, right? Jesus was held on trial. Jesus was declared guilty. Jesus was crucified and executed. And these guys are bringing up his name again and stirring up the crowd. And the crowd's getting excited. The crowd is listening to them. The crowd is saying, Yes, we believe. Because look at this lame man. He's re- he, he was lame and now he can walk. And Jesus. Peter is saying, Jesus has has risen again. This miracle, and the people are amazed. How dare they tell lies like this? How dare they stir people up like this? They're disturbing the peace. And that's why they arrested them. They wanted to shut them up. They wanted to uh, incarcerate them, put them away. End this. Meanwhile... They put him in jail, but in verse 4 many who heard, but many who heard the message believe. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5000. Right? There's two narratives going here. There's two perspectives, two streams of thought between what's right and what's wrong. Right? The temple authorities are like, "We need to shut this down. This is wrong." They're preaching about the resurrection. They're talking about this criminal Jesus Christ. They're st- causing a stir in the temple. We need to shut this. So I can imagine the temple guard, the Roman temple guard. They're in their riot gear, and they're ready to move people away. And they're laying hands on, uh, they're laying hands on Peter and Paul and arresting them. And people have their cell phones out and like, oh, they're arresting Peter and John. Hey. On the flip side, meanwhile, the people of Jesus Christ, this new growing community of people in the way, is still growing. It can't be stopped. It's like the people in Egypt in the Old Testament, right? Pharaoh enslaved them. Pharaoh oppressed them. Pharaoh, they treated them harshly, and yet the Hebrew people were hardy, and they kept having babies, and they kept growing and growing. Same way with these early Christians is they're being shut down. They're being told to shut up. They're being oppressed. And yet, meanwhile, 5,000 more men, we heard 3,000 the chapter earlier. Now 5,000 more men become followers of the Jesus way. And it says 5,000 men. In those days, they only counted men and things like this. Remember the feeding of the 5,000, right? It was just 5,000 men. It didn't include the women that were there, or the children that were there, the, all the households that were there. So there could be like 10,000, that tens of thousands of people became followers of the Jesus Way. Amazing. right? All off. Of Peter and John being witnesses simply testifying in words what they know to be true that Jesus is alive and then practicing their deeds their great deeds in the power of Jesus simply because of that and they speak up that all the thousands of people become followers A little history on Annas the high priest. Um, Annas the high priest uh, was uh, at this time he was the first high priest set up by the Romans after Judea became a Roman state. So the Romans occupy Judea and Jerusalem and then they established their own priests uh, and Annas was the first high priest um, of Jer- the, of Jerusalem under Roman rule. Um, at this time, he was officially out of office. Uh, like, you know, he was retired. But his son-in-law, Caiaphas, and five of his other sons were in charge of the temple. Um, Caiaphas was now the uh, official high priest. But... Uh, Annas, all of his sons, basically did his bidding. They were his puppets. Really, who was in charge? The bottom line was still Annas, even though he was retired as a high priest. So, uh, And we, know, we remember Annas from um, the Gospels and his interactions with Jesus. If you remember, um, Annas was there in, in the book of John and other parts of the Gospels when Jesus was first arrested and put on trial and stood before the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling, the temple ruling body, um, Annas was the high priest, and they, they tried and they tried Jesus and sent them to Pilate. That was Annas. And in John, kind of the, the precipitous, the act that pushed things that was the tipping point for them for the, them arresting Jesus was what do you remember? Jesus comes into the temp, Jerusalem um, and then he goes to the temple and turns over the money changers and turns over, you know, uh, just whips the money changers and, and you know, creates a storm. Um, and so uh, this is what, what was the act that led to ultimately the conflict with the religious leaders and the arrest of Jesus. And so Jesus' act in the temple was, was the breaking point, and Annas was in charge. Some Bible thinkers, especially in the 1900s, connect Annas and his sons with the plot to kill Lazarus alluded to in John chapter 12, 10 where it says there was a plot to kill Lazarus of Bethany. If you remember, Lazarus uh, was the man that Jesus, a friend of Jesus, who died, and Jesus brought him back to life. And so they plot to actually uh, kill Lazarus and hide it, you know, push that controversy to the side. Um, and then this, these thinkers thought this uh, because they feel like a connection, a subtle connection and illusion is made in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. If you remember the rich man, Lazarus, same name, different person, Lazarus, but the rich man is in hell and he says to Abraham, hey, I'm thirsty. Can you tell Lazarus to go dip his uh, finger in water and tip it to my tongue just for some release? Abraham's like, oh heck no. And, and then Uh, the rich man says, okay, then send Lazarus to my five brothers, right? Send them to my five brothers. So that's why they make that connection that, you know, Annas had five sons and and then the brother-in-law. So it's Caiaphas, the brother-in-law, saying, go to my five brothers and tell them to make a change in their ways. And so there's that connection being made. Anyways, the family of Annas does not like Jesus the family of annas do, does not like want the idea of G, the resurrection of Jesus spreading to the people and that's a fact we also remember in Matthew 10 when Jesus says but tells his disciples they're going to arrest you when you get arrested not if you get arrested it's when you get arrested do not worry about what to say or how to say it at that time you'll be given what to say. Jesus is warning them that they will be persecuted and that they'll be arrested. And what we see here in Acts 4 is the first account of the persecution of the church and the disciples of Jesus since Jesus was sent, went away, since Jesus' ascension. Chapter 4 is the beginning of the persecution of the church. And then we have 300 years, over 300 years of intense persecution of the church. And this is crazy stuff, people. The church, this is real history. Right? People persecuted church. You hear about Nero and other people, Right? Christians used to be sewn into the skins of animals so that predators and wild beasts can eat, feed on them. People would pour wax on Christians and use them as living candles, burn them to light their parties and their celebrations. This is intent. They would be burned alive. They would be crucified on crosses, The church for the next 300 years would be persecuted without mercy. And this is the first kind of sign, first incident when Peter and John are incarcerated and arrested for what they were saying. So let's look at their mock trial. This is a farce. They take them. The next morning, they hold them over up overnight in the cell because it was late at night they bring them before the sanhedrin and they begin to question them and they say by what power or what name did you do this right and this echoes you know a lot of the ways that they the temple leaders approach jesus right by what authority do you do this what a Who gave you the authority to forgive sins? Who gave you the authority to heal on the Sabbath? By what authority and what name do you do this? (coughs) And if you notice, it's not just by what authority do you speak this. It's not just about, oh, we're speaking of the resurrection of the dead without any evidence. Right? The high priest even acknowledged it's what you do. They can't deny that the lame everyone knew the lame man. That's why the people are so excited. And the priests know the lame man because he was sitting outside of the temple. They probably walked in and ignored him day in and day night, na- day in and day out. Right? They know what was done. They can't deny the facts. And that's the gospel, right? One when Peter is talking about we are witnesses, you are witnesses to what you have seen and heard. We are witnesses to what we've seen and heard. The facts aren't in question. right? It's what you do with what you've just seen. They've just seen a miracle and a healing. And it's what you do with that. Do you push it away? Do you try to cover it up? and hide it because it doesn't fit into your politics. It doesn't, it's a threat to your power. It's a threat to your way of thinking and your way of life. So you, sh- you push it away. You say it's fake news. Or do you, like the people, see a miracle and see witness what they've really seen and repent and say, we want to follow this God. We want to follow this Jesus. That should be the natural reaction the evil in us makes us see something and because it doesn't fit with our worldview, or we feel threatened by it, we deny it. We live in denial. And so that's why Peter responds, what are you talking about? You're questioning us for an act of kindness we showed to this man? Something good happened here. And that's a message that Jesus gave when he did healings, especially on the Sabbath. When the Pharisees came to him, how dare you heal on the Sabbath? And he said, you're criticizing me because I did something good on the Sabbath? Is it better to follow the rules and regulations to the T, or to do, who, who was the Sabbath made for? Right? Wasn't it made for you? How can you criticize when an act of kindness was shown? We all know it. When you see love, how can you be so angry about it? what, What place is your heart when you see good And you can't celebrate that. When you see your humankind, your fellow human beings suffering, and you can't have compassion for that, what makes you blind to that? What what places your heart in when you are angry (laughs) when someone is blessed? So you're asking us to give an account for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame. And are, and you dare ask how he was healed? Then know this. And here's Peter's getting ready to talk. He's ready to preach. Know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And here, there's not, Peter's doing nothing new. He's saying nothing new, right? In fact, he says that same thing he said in all three of his sermons three times before. Chapter 2, chapter 3, and now here in chapter 4. You crucified! You crucified! We see a theme, right? And he points to the resurrection, whom God raised from the dead, this Jesus of Nazareth, whom God raised from the dead. You crucified, God raised him uh, from the dead, and it was in the name of Jesus, it is by that name, by Jesus, that this miracle has happened. Chapter 2, chapter 3, and here in chapter 4, right? You crucified, God raised, this is the power of Jesus that this is happening. Boom, boom, boom. And, and the call in that is what? Repent. 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 And believe. But you, Jesus was the stone that the builders rejected. You rejected Jesus. And guess what? That stone that you threw out, is now the cornerstone. This movement, you're either on or you're off, but Jesus is alive and real. Amen? Jesus is alive and real. Salvation is found in no one else. Here's a side note. Oh, I'll get to that later. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And here, church, is a hard teaching, at least for a lot of us who live in a culture of relativeness. And maybe this way is good for you, this way is good for us. Peter right here is presenting without a doubt, in no uncertain terms, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as the way to salvation. There is no one else. There's no other name in heaven by which we're saved, right? And sometimes we kind of water that down. We water that down because we don't want people to feel bad. We don't want to look bad in the public. We don't want to you know, seem close-minded or uneducated. We don't want to be dogmatic. We don't want to say, oh, other people are, are wrong or they're living in sin, even though they're good people. But I'm saying when you follow Jesus as a follower of Jesus, we need to cl- hold on to that truth that that exclusive truth that salvation is found in no one else. Amen. Only in the name of Jesus is humanity saved. Period. Right? Not dot dot dot, not comma, period. Not dash. Period. Woo! 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Again, we see this. Jesus chose ordinary people. Jesus chose uneducated people. It says they were unschooled. They're from Galilee. They're podunk people, podunk town, right? Ordinary people uneducated but jesus called them and these are the leaders of the jesus movement that's happening post-resurrection now in jerusalem and that are causing this stir normal ordinary unschooled men they didn't go to seminary like the priest did and the priests are like oh my gosh they didn't go to seminary they don't have a master's degree they don't have phds in the bible And they realize this and they're amazed and astonished. And maybe they felt threatened and they're like, or maybe they were cocky and they disregarded them. And if you remember, Peter, (laughs) it was only a little while ago when Peter was denying Jesus to a servant girl, no less, who said, weren't you a follower of Jesus? No, no, no. Right? Peter was too scared to stand up for Jesus when Jesus was on trial. Right? When the cops came and arrested Jesus and they were all protesting. Right, And, and Peter was wearing his Galileans for Jesus shirt. Right? Jesus' life matters. But when the cops came, Peter ran away. And people were like, weren't you protesting? I saw you underneath that mask protesting for for Jesus. And he was like, no, no, no. He was afraid. But this Peter we see today, right? Totally different. Courageous. He doesn't hold back. He says, you crucified Jesus. There's no other name but Jesus. He's been arrested. And his life is being threatened, no, no doubt. But you know what's different? What does it say? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter's now empowered by the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, right? To speak boldly, to speak the truth, not afraid. And this should be an encouragement to us in the church. You may be out there saying, "Well, I'm not a good speaker, or I don't ha- I'm not brave like, or outgoing like other people to stand up and s- for truth, or to, you know, to write this thing, or to, you know, to uh, protest, go out and protest for things that are right." I'm not, I'm not one to rock the boat. I, I, I'm not one to be a witness or do evangelism like or speak about Jesus Christ to non-believers or strangers out there. That's, that's too scary. I can't be bold like that, brave like that. This is a message for you. If Peter can do it, you can too. In the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus. This is what the Holy Spirit does. It emboldens us. It convicts us. And it moves us to be witnesses to the deeds and works of Jesus Christ, right? Even to persecution. And the church, we'll see uh, in the remaining chapters of Acts, this persecution gets worse, right? And the persecution continues. The church comes under fire, and you may think in the West here or in the United States, oh, we, we don't really get persecuted. In the rest of the world, maybe in Iran, Iraq, in the Middle East, if you're a Christian in a Muslim country, maybe you can lose your life or in China or other places where Christianity's banned and outlawed. Those people are being persecuted. Those people are losing their lives. Those people are being bold. But here in America, and in many senses, that's true. Maybe your life isn't threatened because you're Christian here, but we also have a different, we have persecution of our mind and the emotions, right? We don't stand up for Jesus and what Jesus stands for because we're afraid of not being, afraid of dis, uh, being disliked. We want to please people, we don't want to be shunned. Oh, you believe that? You're uneducated. How can you be educated or believe in science or this and this and believe in Jesus? How can you, you're a Christian? Aren't you, you know, against this, against that? Or we're afraid to speak like Peter did about the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. There's no other name by which you're saved. You need Jesus. Or to even say to someone, How do you get saved? You need to repent. Udi. you need to repent. You're living wrong. That's a hard thing to say. We don't want to face the persecution we think will come when we make strong statements like that. Amen? But we can do that. We have the courage to do that because the Holy Spirit, just like Peter, Peter, because of the Holy Spirit, was able to do these things, was able to say these things. Peter, who once was a coward and denied Jesus. What are the ways that you deny Jesus in your daily lives, in your words and your actions? Because you're afraid of persecution. You're afraid that people will think less of you. So that's one thing. Being witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ and not being afraid to speak the truth and just bringing it all. And two, standing, speaking truth to power. Peter is speaking truth to power, and he gets arrested by that power. And they be, the Christians become persecuted by the powers that are threatened by the Jesus way. So, church, what are the ways we need to speak against protest against injustice, pro, uh, speak a truth to power? to institutional sin, to the sin of our nation, uh, of slavery and white supremacy and anti-blackness or other, other ways that you know, we, are, we are separating families or how we treat immigrants and refugees, how we treat the poor, how we treat the environment because of money or because of political, polit- political gain. What are the ways the church needs to stop being silent and be like Peter and bold? Cause a stir in the temple, right? Rock the boat to the point that people get upset. People want to shut you down. People want to be like, shut up. Don't say those things. Christians don't say those things. Jesus wouldn't anger the authorities. Wrong. Jesus did anger the authorities. Apostles of the early church did anger the authorities for what was right, for love. And so when we see Peter, we did an act of kindness for the layman, and you're mad about it? The church needs to stand up and do kindness and love for all of humanity. And when we see atrocities done to our fellow human beings, we should step into that place. We should bring the love of Jesus and the power in the name of Jesus into those places of death where people are mistreated and do good in those places, even if it means we get in trouble. Even if it means it brings persecution on us. The church must not be silent. Amen? Because that's what I see in the people of God here. They speak truth. Speak truth strongly, right? And lay everything on the table without fear of offending people. We have to be more offensive as a church and um, be witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the acts of the Holy Spirit the gospel of the Holy Spirit, to teach us, encourage us, and inspire us, and embolden us. Will you pour your spirit out on us, on Renew Church, on the churches in Linwood, in Seattle, in Washington, in the US, and in the world. Empower us, embolden us to speak plainly, And with courage, just like Peter and the apostles did in these early days. So that your goodness will reign and evil will not have the day. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.